Psalm chapter 18, verses 1 through 3 say this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much that you are a rock that we can stand on. God, that you are a foundation that will never shake. You are a foundation that will never fall away. God, that you are our refuge. God, that we get to come into your house. We get to worship you. We get to know you. We get to be with you, Father, and we thank you for that. We thank you, God, that you make yourself available to us. We thank you that we get to know you, that we get to love you, that we get to worship you in this place. And so, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that all of us, each of us individually would fall so much more in love with you, God, as we rest in you, as we rest in the power of your strength, God, that we would know that there's no sin, no mistake, no issue that we have going on in our lives, God, that, that is too big for you, God, because you're bigger than all of it. And so, God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I love a great rescue story. If you're around my age, you, you remember Rambo when he rescued all the POWs? Remember that cool knife he had? You know, I, mean, I had a knife like that. I think I bought it at Walmart of all places. But you can pull, pull the, unscrew the cap off and you can put your matches in there. I don't know what we use matches for. Burn down some. But, or uh, or um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, commando, and, and, and rescuing his daughter. Or maybe you remember this movie. Tell me what movies this dad. I have a set of skills. And I will find you, and I will kill you. It would be fun if, funny if my phone rang right now. Hello? <laughs> yeah, what was it? What movie was that? Taken. Y'all remember Taken? Well, Psalm 18 is a great rescue story. Let's, let's look at it. Psalm 18. You got your Bibles? Turn there. Psalm 18. Now, when we look at, when, when we study Scripture, we always, listen, we always study Scripture to find out how God treats his people. I, I, I want to I give you some instruction on, on something. Let's not look at characters of the Bible and tell ourselves, okay, I need to be like this person. You know, when we study the life of Daniel, for example, don't read Daniel and go, okay, how can I be like Daniel? That's not the point. Now, there may be some characteristics about these characters that we can glean from, but that's secondary. Um, Tuesday nights, guys, 7 o'clock, we're going to look at Nehemiah. So let's, let's not look at Nehemiah and go, how can I be? Be a Nehemiah. No, don't be a Nehemiah. Be a Brian. Be a you. Be an Anthony. Be a, what's your name? I'm just kidding. Be a Tom. <laughs> I'm kidding, I promise. I'm kidding. But we look in Scripture, we, we look at Scripture to find out how did God treat his people. And it's amazing to find out the more how God treats his people because then you get to learn God more. And that's primary. That's the whole point. So keep that in mind as we look at Psalm 18 because David is writing about this great rescue 
and he's telling you, I want you to see who the Lord is to me. And I want you to begin thinking now, who is the Lord to you? So if David were here today and he was standing in my place and he says, I want to go through this psalm that I wrote many years ago because I want to tell you who the Lord is to me. I love the way he kicks it off. In J10, by the way, that's his name, not Jaten, it's J10. J10 started it this way. He says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. I mean, what a way to start it off. What a way to kick it. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. I mean, he takes ownership of the strength that God has given. This is my, my strength is the Lord, not my abilities. And boy, did David have abilities. He was a mighty warrior, you know. He was, he was a manly man. He, was, he became king. He had everything he wanted, but his strength was not in anything on himself, but in the Lord. And then he kicks off this whole psalm. The, the next couple of verses is kind of like an introductory of who the Lord is to him. He starts off by telling us that the Lord is, is his protection. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. The Lord is referred to as a rock at least 20 times throughout Psalms. It's, and when I think, I mean, think of God being a rock. What do you think David, what do you think the imagery that David had, because he is an imaginative dude. The imagery that David had referring to the Lord as a rock. I don't think he thought of him as a small pebble. I think he thought of the Lord as a giant boulder. Now, what would be David in relation to, to this giant boulder? Well, maybe at times to hide behind because God will protect him as a shield. Maybe at times to stand upon as his truth. He will stand on truth, but it is solid and it is secure and it is safe. And he looked to the Lord as his, as his rock. And he says in verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And then he begins to answer the question, what happened? David says, i got to tell you what happened. The pangs of death encompassed me. And the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. You ever felt that way? The pangs of death encompassed me. The floods of ungodliness. The word for ungodliness is belial. B-E-L-I-A-L. Belial. What is belial? Well, the Apostle Paul used it in 1 Corinthians 6. It's a word that means a, a worthless evil. An, an extreme wickedness. In fact, there's, there was extra biblical literature that they used the word Belial as, to, as an, another name for the devil. And, and David says, the, not just one event, Belial flooded me. I was flooded with this. The sorrows. Oh, oh and it made him afraid. Made him afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. Sheol, the abode of the dead, the, the sorrows, the grievings surrounded me. 
it, it, it's not just they were over here, right? And he can turn away. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at the pangs of death. I don't look at Belial and uh, the wickedness. But they were over here too. But they, they weren't just over here and over here. They were here and here and here. And he was surrounded by this. You ever felt that way? Surrounded by, by suffering. It's like no, there's nowhere, feel like there's nowhere you can turn. It's just calamity all around. And the snares of death confronted me. The, the eyes of death just staring into David. And he knows, God, my time is here. This is it. You talk about distress. You talk about suffering and anguish. And by the way, in this particular case that David's talking about, he didn't deserve any of this. He was innocent. I mean, there's one thing if we're experiencing this and it's our own wrongdoing against ourselves. But David didn't do anything wrong to deserve what he's writing about here. I mean, how unfair is that? And it's things that he can't control. He can't make it stop. Some of you are in a situation like that today. You're sitting right here going, Chad, have you heard my story? Because you're like talking to me right now. Because we all go through things like this. And David is wanting you to know, I went through this, but i got to tell you what happened. So let's keep reading. Then he said in verse 6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple. My, my cry came before him even to his ears. David is saying, the Lord hears my cry. And despite how we may feel when we cry out to the Lord, he hears our cries. He is, think of God on his throne in heaven, and David's cries come up to his ears, and it catches God's attention. Not that God's attention wasn't already on him, but just follow with me on this. And he goes, I hear you, David, and I'm coming. Do you know that that happens to me and you? Do you think that your cries do not reach the ears of God in heaven who is actually in our presence? And he says, I hear your cry. And not only am I coming, I'm already there. In fact, not only am I already there, I was there before you were. I've got it. Amen? I'm going to start preaching now. And then God responds with might. So this next part, I need you, this is, my, my, my mind just works this way, so I need you to help me out. I want you to think about, I think of the Lord of the Rings. You've seen Lord of the Rings? Remember when they entered into that mountain, and then um, uh, they were supposed to be real quiet, and then one of, the, one of the hobbits dropped something loud down this deep, deep tunnel thing, or well something, and then all of a sudden, was it Gandalf says, the drums. And you hear the drum, boom, 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 boom. It's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's like deep within the heart of the mountain. This war music begins. I want you to hear war music, but not deep in the heart of the earth, deep in the universe. And it's coming straight towards David, but it's not an evil sound. It is a victorious sound. God is coming to rescue his own. And this, so I want you to hear that and hear it build as we read through this next part and try and visualize what David is poetically with his imagination writing. He says, 
Then the earth shook and trembled. Feel that tremble. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. You ever wonder how God feels when his children are mistreated? Do you think God has emotions? Do you think God is an emotionless spirit? No. He created emotion. He has them perfectly. And when his children are mistreated, he gets angry. Don't mess with my kids. That's what God says. Don't mess with my kids. And then verse 8, smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it and he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. It's like the time-space continuum bent down towards heaven as God came to send it out of timelessness, out of eternity and into David's universe. And he rode upon a cherub and flew and he flew upon the wings of the wind he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him and the thick clouds, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. Are you seeing this? Can you feel the heat from the coals of fire? Are you seeing the dark clouds break open and the God of the universe coming down with all of his might riding on, on a cherub? Coming for one person. One person who cried out. See, David didn't cry out for his mighty men. Come help me. Because they're limited in their strength and in their numbers and their power. He didn't, he didn't cry out to anybody or anywhere. He didn't cry out to the majority, to the, to, to the safety of the society or whatever. He cried to the one and only who can save. Who are you crying out in your distress? Who are you turning to in your distress? God says, I'm here. I love you. Where am I? Oh, verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice. And when He uttered His voice, there appeared hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. I, I'm wondering if, if, if David is thinking about Exodus. In, in, in Exodus 19, whenever Moses brought the people before the Mount Sinai, and God had descended upon the mountain, and there was black clouds, and the mountain was shaking and lightning and thunderings all around. I wonder if David is thinking of of, of, of when God led Joshua and his army to battle the coalition with the Amorites. And God says, I will go before you and deliver them into your hand. God says, I will deliver, you, deliver them into your hand. In Joshua chapter 10. And then God sent fire stones and hell, coals of fire from heaven. And more of the Amorites, more of the enemy died at the hands of God's coals of fire than at the Israel's arrows. I wonder what David is thinking. I wonder if he's seeing all of this. Then the channels of the waters were seen and the foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the 
blast of the breath of your nostrils. And I know what some of you are thinking. I'm in distress. Why can't God deliver me like this? Who's to say he doesn't? Who's to say God doesn't? I believe he does. It may not be when we want him to. Because don't think that this happened all in, in, in one hour. This distress took over many months. Let me tell you what was happening here, okay? Let me tell you what was going on. See, David wrote this psalm after the death of King Saul. King Saul was anointed king. He was chosen king, one reason, because he was quite popular. He was a head taller than everybody else, tall, dark, handsome, kind of like me, you know, that kind of a guy. I'm just kidding. I'm short and pale. And... But Saul um, was considered the one to have killed a thousand, while David was the one that killed 10,000. Remember, David killed Goliath, not Saul. Saul hid in his tent. Here, you want my armor? Nah that got a rock <laughs> and Saul didn't like that not like that at all Saul wanted to kill David so Saul went on this this campaign with his army this pathway to kill David Saul's son Jonathan who was David's best friend even confronted his own dad at dinner one time read it. it's in first and second Samuel read first and second Samuel that's your homework okay Read First and Second Samuel all through all of this, and Jonathan is in First Samuel. Jonathan is confronting his dad David. Why are his dad Saul? Why are you trying to kill David? He has done nothing wrong. Saul got so mad at his own son, he picked up a spear, threw it at him. Not a very good father-son relationship going on there. He missed. Thank God. But Saul was charging after David. Well, David wrote this after Saul died. But so all of this is taking place not in one night. God doesn't always deliver us whenever the second that we want him to. He has, has a plan. See, God doesn't exist in time. That means he can control it. We can't control it. Do we trust in the one who does? Then God delivers the righteous from the enemies. In verse 16... He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. You ever felt that way? That whatever the enemy is, whatever the situation is, it's too strong. You, you, you can't bear underneath this anymore. And God delivered, delivered David from this. They were too strong. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out, out into a broad place. He, now watch this, listen. He delivered me because he delighted in me. My, my, my dear church family, I want you to understand something. And I, I don't want you to base any truth on how you might feel about how God feels about you. But I'm telling you from what Scripture says, God delights in you. Amen. Do you know that to be true? God delights 
in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That his delight in you is not based on what you do as a believer in Jesus. His delighting in you is based on who he is because he is love. That's who God is. He may not delight in what we do, but we're not talking about what David did right here. We're talking about in the person David. We're talking about in the person you. God delights in you because that's who God is. Paul wrote in Romans 8. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Come on, I want to hear pages turning. Let's go. Romans chapter 8. Bring your Bibles to church. Yeah, Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Romans 8, 33. Paul writes, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Oh, it's God. And he justifies. Oh, that's a good thing. Who is he who condemns? Oh, it's Christ. Oh, he died for you and furthermore is risen. He's at the right hand of God. And he makes intercession for you. Oh, that's a good thing. In fact... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, I don't know. I can think of many things that may be a possibility. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. The answer to all of those is in the negative. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul writes... That neither death nor life... Okay, Paul, what about angels or principalities? Nope, neither angels or principalities or powers. Okay, Paul, what about things in the past or things in the present or things to come? Nor things in the present or things to come, nor height, depth, any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. God delights in you. Do you believe that to be true? No matter how you feel, because we don't determine truth on how we feel because our emotions change. We determine truth on something that is set and secure like a rock. And that is what this is. That is who God is, so believe it. And remind yourself of this truth. God delighted in David because that's who God is. But now look at verse 20. The Lord rewarded me, David writes, according to my righteousness. So God delighted in David because that's who God is, but God rewarded David's righteousness because that's what God does. Now, read this with me, and i got an important question to ask. Verse 20, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Let me tell you what happened. See, David is not saying that he's sinless, and that God only delivers sinless believers. That's not what David says. See, what happened was in 1 Samuel 24, David, being on the run from Saul, hid inside a cave. 
And then he began to hear voices entering the cave, and he recognized one, and it was Saul. Oh no, this is not good. Where's my dagger? I got it ready. And then Saul's army comes in, and they go in, and and David is hiding behind this boulder in this cave. Saul and his army go in to take a little rest, and they're taking a nap. And I can imagine David thinking, here's my chance. In fact, right around the corner, there's Saul, sleeping. And David pulls out his dagger. This is it. I'm sure he's tempted. He's a human. If you were ever given a chance to end your suffering and your distress by your own hand, wouldn't you be tempted to do it? But he didn't. He refused to end the life of God's anointed. David had an opportunity to fulfill God's plan for himself because David was anointed king. And I'm sure David's thinking, God, you anointed me as king. I can't be king if he kills me. David had an opportunity to take matters in his own hand and to fulfill God's plan. I'm going to go ahead and make it happen now, God. I'm going to help you out. But David refused. So here's what he did. He took a piece of of Saul's cloak, and with that dagger, he cut it. He cut a piece of it off. It's in there. Read it. It's an amazing, amazing scene here. And then he hid behind the rock, and he waited. And Saul and his men woke up, ate some beef jerky, Powerade, and they left. And David waited until they crossed over the other side of the valley. And then David ran out, and he stood, and he yelled out, Saul! And he held out the cloak, and Saul turned around, and Saul wept. Weeped. He wept. He cried. And here's what Saul said. In 1 Samuel 24, he said, You could have killed me. May the Lord reward you according to your righteousness, according to your kindness to me. See, David wasn't saying that he was perfect in his life, because you can read the rest of David's life. He made mistakes. But in this situation here, David learned integrity. He was a man of integrity. And he refused to be God and to take matters in his own hands. He, re, he desired more to honor and obey God than to save his own life. So in this instance, he was everything he said about himself. And so the Lord desired, what David says, the Lord desired to reward him with deliverance according to his righteousness. So here's the question that we can ask. Well, does the Lord, not, not, does the Lord only deliver perfect people? No. Was there a time when the Lord may not deliver me? Well, first of all, I think the Lord always delivers us from something, if we allow Him to. But the Lord may not always deliver us from our calamity. And I'm going to tell you two reasons why I, I, I'm convinced from Scripture that the Lord may not deliver us from our calamity. One reason is because I'm convinced that God uses calamity to teach us integrity. You know, in the ancient times, whenever, in, in order for them to get uh, pure gold and pure silver, they would mine it, pull out the big chunks, the ore, and bring it to the refiner. The refiner would begin breaking it down and grinding all of this dirt and rock and gold, or dirt and rock and silver, grinding all the way down to a fine powder. And then they would scoop up 
a, a huge chunk of it and put it into a, a very, very hot furnace. A hot as the sun. And the, the furnace, the fire, would burn off all the impurities. It's called dross. And it would burn off all of the dross until there was nothing but pure, precious metal left. Pure, precious metal. And do you know that in ancient times, do you know how the refiner realized that his job was complete? When that precious metal was so hot, all the dross burned off, it was in liquid form, where he would pull it out and he could see his reflection. I'm convinced that God uses our calamity to teach us integrity because he wants to look at you and see the reflection of his son, Jesus. That is God's desire. Not to burn you up, not to destroy you, but to make you like his son. I think there's another... Well, look, I, I want to show you in, in Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. Isaiah writes, Behold, I have refined you, but not as... Silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And then he says in chapter 1, verse 25, Isaiah also writes, I will turn my, God says, I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. That is God's work of teaching us integrity in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our calamity. I think there's another reason why God may allow us to remain in our calamity, at least for a time, and that's to show us His power. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, see what happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 is, is he had just been brought up into the, the third heavens and he had seen things that humans have not been able to see and then reveal later. And then to keep him humble, he writes... God allowed this thorn in my side, this flesh, this, this, this uh, demon to torment me. And Paul prayed at least that we know of three times, Jesus, please take this suffering away from me. Jesus, please remove this calamity from my life. Jesus, please deliver me from this. Have you ever prayed and asked Jesus over and over again? And Jesus... I can imagine he smiles and he says, no. What? See, I, I, I think Jesus could deliver Paul from that pain and suffering that Paul couldn't control and didn't deserve. But Jesus, I, I think Jesus, it's like Jesus saying, I could do that, but if I would, then you would not see my power and grace in your life. But I want you to see my power and grace in your life. In fact, it was after Paul experienced that Jesus saying, my grace is sufficient. It was after Paul experiencing so much of God's power and in grace in the midst of his calamity that he was able to write the prison epistles. Who can tell people, a church, how to have joy and unity when you're chained up to guards in prison? Only someone who was full of the grace and power of God. That's what God wants to do in your life and in mine. 
And that's when Paul says, therefore, I embrace my calamity. I embrace my weaknesses, my inferiorities. I embrace it so that the power of Christ may, may descend upon me. We pray for grace and we pray for power. And God says, great, I'm going to allow you to experience it. Well, wait, I don't want it like that. Well, do you want to just be in comfort all your life? Yeah, that, that, that's it. That'll be good. It doesn't happen that way. Because I want to make you like my son. With, verse 25, with the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless you will show yourself blameless. With the pure you will show yourself pure. And with the devious you will show yourself shrewd. Ladies and gentlemen, there are times in my life where I am devious. And those are the times that God shows himself shrewd to me. He uses things in my life to teach me to be a man of integrity. He disciplines me to be more like his son. But if I, if I am devious and going against his way, then he's going to be shrewd and go against my way. And I'm not going to win. Because... Verse 27, you will save the humble people, but will bring down the haughty looks. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says there were 16, six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination. What's that very first one? A proud look. A haughty look. James 4 says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and then He will lift you up. We need strength to obey is what we need. We can't do this on our own. So then David gets into verse 28, where God gives him strength to obey. He says, you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. I told you that God will, God will deliver you from something. Either He will deliver you from your calamity, or He will deliver you from the sinful flaws in your flesh, he will burn the dross off. Boy, he knows how to do that in my life, and I'm so thankful that he does, and he's doing it even now, and there's even more in my life that he needs to burn off. And there's more in your life than he needs to burn off. And then Paul gives his, uh, excuse me, David gives his version of Philippians 4.13, that Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at verse 29. For by you, I can run against a troop. I, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. So you thought that was Superman. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all those who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Who is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect? He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You also have given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so that my feet did not slip. The Lord was his strength so that his feet do not slip. The Lord is his strength, so that he will trust him and obey in the midst of calamity. Who is your strength, so that you will trust and obey? You know the kind of man that I want to be? Is whenever calamity comes, 
that I step back. Instead of reacting in the flesh, I step back, I take a deep breath. Spirit of God, respond through me. What are you wanting to teach me? And how do I take a step forward in this situation in obedience to you? He strengthens us to obey. God either delivers us from darkness or from our calamity. Let's jump down to verse 43. David writes, You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations as king. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. So I, I, this is James 4 all, all over. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. See, I think what happens is if we decide somehow to escape and run out of this calamity that we found ourselves in, whether it's by our hand or not, that God wants to use calamity to teach me integrity, we're going to eventually be in another situation to learn it anyway. Why not learn it now? Why not learn it here? God wants us to learn it. And God gives us the strength to humble ourselves and obey if we will just trust in Him. But when we humble ourselves, He lifts us up because we can't. And then his, David's, again, if David was standing here, he says, guys, this is, a, this is my response to what God did, the Lord did in my life. In verse 46, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. See, this is why I'm convinced that we shouldn't look at Scripture and go, okay, I need to be like David because David went and killed all his enemies. I don't think God is saying, all right, get your dagger out, okay, get ready. The fight's coming, and we're going to start stabbing people. You know, be a David. But our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our in, sometimes, you know, our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right out of 1 John. Our enemies are sometimes our own thoughts to ourselves. Our enemies are the prince and the powers of the darkness of the air. And God says, I will give you strength to obey. I will place you high upon a rock above all your enemies. If you will just trust me, I'm convinced with all my heart, that what God wants more out of, uh, of anything else from you and me is to trust Him. Do you trust me? In the verse 49, the Apostle Paul quotes this verse in Romans 15, 9, seeing messianic implications in this statement. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. In verse 50, he uses the word anointed. God, great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed. Now, the, the word for anointed literally is, the, is Messiah, the chosen one. To David and his seed or his descendants forevermore. So Paul sees this as prophetic. So God is using David 
is part of his entire plan. And God wants to use you and me as part of his plan. And yes, sometimes he delivers us from our calamity. Sometimes he delivers us from our darkness. But he always delivers us because he delights in you. Let's be people of integrity. Here's your homework assignment. You ready? I like to give homework. I challenge you, and I'll do the same. I know, because Eric Reem always holds me accountable to this. I'll do the same. I challenge you to do what David did. Who is the Lord to you? Write down who the Lord is to you. Take, this is, that doesn't happen in an hour. It happens in an evening. Write down who the Lord is to you. Then I, then I challenge you to share that with your spouse. Share that with your children. With those in your path group. Guys, share that with your three. Ladies, share it with your small group on Monday nights, just not during small group on Monday nights because you're studying Ezekiel. But write this down. And my prayer is, is that, when, is that when you see who the Lord is to you through the lens of Scripture, that you will be able to finish the way David started. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Let's pray. I will love you, O Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress. I will trust in you. Make me like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Or Chad. Chris is doing a wedding, so <laughs> Chad. We do look alike. Yeah. You do look alike, yes, a little bit. Uh, just have a couple of announcements before you make your way out. Men and women, if you signed up for the summer Bible studies, that, those are going to begin this week. Tomorrow, the women will be gathering to study through the book of Ezekiel. And Tuesday, the men will be gathering to study through the book of Nehemiah. If you uh, have been coming to fellowship for some time and are interested in learning more about our church family, we're going to have a Discover class on June the 25th. It's during third service. We'll have lunch, and there's also child care that's provided. If you're interested in learning more about our church family and looking into membership, we would love for you to join us. You can fill out the communication card and drop it in one of the offering boxes in the back. And then something that has just come up that I'm really excited about is on Sundays during the summer, we're going to be getting together over at Fergus Park, and we're going to do prayer on the hill. So we would love for you to join us at 8 o'clock, bring your lawn chair, bring some bug spray, and we're going to just be taking uh, some time to pray for various things. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that, and that begins this evening at 8 o'clock. If you have a prayer request, you can always drop it off in the offering box, but something that we've been wanting to encourage our church body to do is to pray with one another. So I want to invite our sister Judy to come on up front, and my sister Yolanda's here, and I'll be up front, and Chad will be around, and if you would like a prayer now before you leave, we would love for you to just come on up and, and visit with us. We'd love to pray with you, and if you make your way out, you'll see those baby bottles. We have one more week a couple more weeks before we stop doing that. This is our uh, verse for you to reflect, meditate on during this week. Psalm 18, 46, it says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. God bless you. Have a great week.